Nobody has more respect for women than I do. Nobody. Hillary Clinton wants to abolish it, believe me. She wants to abolish our Second Amendment. I think they didn't deny it. I don't think anybody denied it. Other presidents did not call. They'd write letters, and some presidents didn't do anything. Many people have come out and said, I'm right. You really do have to ask yourself, where does it stop? Hello and welcome to Fallacious Trump, the podcast where we use the insane ramblings of some offal dropped on the floor of a supercuts to explain logical fallacies. I'm your host, Jim. And I'm your other host, Mark. A logical fallacy is an error in reasoning that results in bad or invalid arguments. And the logical fallacy we're looking at this week is bulverism. Can I just congratulate you on the, uh, the mental image of some awful, of some awful... Yeah, I don't want to be specific as to which raw. piece yeah. of organ meat <laughs> most just, resembles Trump. But it's right. not just one piece. It's, like, yeah. it's, it's some... It's various yeah. lumps of just <laughs> off-cuts of... Lumps yeah. of innards. So, Brilliant. Bulverism was coined, actually, by C.S. Lewis in uh-huh. an essay that he wrote of the same name. So this is a quote from C.S. Lewis. The modern method is to assume without discussion that he, someone you're arguing with, is wrong and distract his attention from this, the only real issue, by busily explaining how he came to be so silly. In the course of the last 15 years, I have found this vice so common that I have had to invent a name for it. I call it bulverism. Someday, I'm going to write the biography of its imaginary inventor, Ezekiel Bulver whose destiny was determined at the age of five when he heard his mother say to his father, who had been maintaining that two sides of a triangle were together, greater than the third, oh, you say that because you're a man. At that moment, E. Bulver assures us, there flashed across my opening mind the great truth that refutation is no necessary part of argument. Nice. The modern method, that was the modern method, written in 1941. (laughs) That was 1941, yeah. So, So he created the character of Ezekiel Bulver specifically for this anecdote. And... Yeah thereby called the fallacy bulverism and the fallacy therefore is when during an argument you don't refute what the other person Mm. is saying you just explain why they're saying it why they are so silly as to believe or or claim something yeah that's quite interesting isn't it that he says it's to assume that he's wrong yeah the other person and then distracts his attention from the, the this from the only real issue by busily explaining that they are, you know, idiots, rather than refuting an argument, rather than offering yeah. some kind of explanation as to why the yeah the you don't address the underlying argument. Being said about yeah, no. the claim itself. You just say, well, uh, yeah, you only believe that because of a yeah. silly thing about you. It's kind of it's a little bit ad hominem, a little bit genetic mm. fallacy mixed in there. Yeah. Um, because yeah. it's where it's it's where the argument is coming from that you're addressing and and something negative about that in kind of motivated reasoning so ad hominem circumstantial which is like you would say that wouldn't you yeah our first trump example comes yeah. when he was asked a question about his recent comments that were inflammatory towards north korea so president you've said you want to send a strong message to north korea what do you say to your critics who say that your rhetoric is actually raising the tension well you know my critics are only saying that because it's me if somebody else uttered the exact same words that i uttered they'd say what a great statement what a wonderful statement that's amazing isn't it yeah he's not arguing that he hasn't been making inflammatory statements or that the the statements are not negative He's saying that the people who are saying yeah. their bad statements are just kind of essentially out to get him. Yeah. A, they, they will just say whatever he says is bad, and if someone else had said it, they wouldn't have said that. So in a way, instead of saying to the reporters, well, they would say that because they're stupid, 
this, they're only so he's doing a, an, a, an about face, a kind of twisted back on itself version by saying, well, they're only saying that because it's me. Yeah, yeah. Because it's, uh, as we they know, always it's always me. all about so, Trump. Yeah. Yeah. And that persecution complex comes through yeah. in his response to all of the various indictments for all of the 91 felonies <laughs> that he is currently facing charge for. And he says things like this at rallies. These are ridiculous indictments. And all they're doing is hoping for massive election interference. That's all they want to do. They want to damage the leading candidate. By the way, leading by far, I have to say. So he's saying the indictments are not because I've committed crimes. And he isn't addressing that and saying, I mean, he says, to be fair, has said on other occasions, you know, I didn't do anything wrong. But in this instance, he's not saying, you know, I'm innocent of all of these things. He's saying the indictments are because they are attacking me because I'm their leading opponent. So that's the yeah. that's the point yeah. of them. They're not getting me because I committed crimes. They're, they're attacking me. It's political persecution. They're just yeah. out to get me. And so this is the kind of thing they do. And in, in a way, it's also, he says, they're going to, you know, they want to um, ruin the election. They want to skew the election. And in a way, he's kind of setting it up, a bit like he set up the last election, Whereby, if he lost, it would be because it was there was corruption, yeah. and he encouraged people to head to the head to the capital, and you know just take a sightseeing tour in order to interfere with the election process as much as they possibly could. So he's kind of setting it up so that if he doesn't win, it's because they want to corrupt the election process, and people will be so incensed that there will be riots. Yeah. Well, this this kind of mixes in with conspiracy theory thinking because what we've seen from just the first episode that we looked at of Police State, the Dinesh D'Souza film, this is being used. I mean, we knew it anyway, but it's in there as well. Uh, This is being used by his, his followers and his allies to say... He is being persecuted. He is being attacked. The you know the the deep state, Joe Biden's administration. They're out to get him. They're attacking their opponent, their main political opponent. He's the leading Republican candidate. They're not saying yeah. you know he is under indictment because of crimes. They're not even addressing the crimes. They're dismissing all of that in favour of they're attacking him. They're out to get him. Yeah. They're coming yeah. after him. And and when you say they're coming after the crimes he committed, they are addressing yeah. the crimes, they have lots of evidence of the crimes, they just kind of ignore all of that stuff and yeah. say, well, you know, it's unacceptable in uh, in America to go after your political opponent. Yeah, well, and it, that's well, what it would they're be, doing. But, they're, but they're not because he's not being held to book for the crimes by his political, his political opponents. It's not politically motivated. It's motivated by the law. Yeah. It's... Pe- People who want to see the the rule of law and uphold the law are noticing that these things were ever so slightly illegal. <laughs> so they're kind of just pointing that out to him and saying, "Yeah, would you would you like to come to the big house and uh, and explain yourself? Because these things we we think you did they are in contravention to the law." So we think you should be being held to book for those. Yeah. What do you say, Donald? But the more he can convince people to see it as just political persecution and just them yeah. out to get him, the yeah. less it matters what evidence is put forward or 
if right. and when he is found guilty of any of these things. Because yeah. by that point, all of his followers don't care. If the no. you know, as far as far as they're concerned, like I was saying about the the conspiracy theory thinking thing, that's yeah. just evidence that they're good at being out to get him. If they manage to get right. convictions, and even if they were to manage to get him to go to prison or anything like that, that's just evidence that they've succeeded in their task of being out to get him. Being out to get him, and, yeah, And yeah, the, yeah. the judges are in on it, and the juries are in on it, and they're all biased yeah. against him. They won't believe the evidence or the fact that he's been found guilty of these crimes. It won't matter, yeah. because it's all no. just because they're out to get him. The crimes are incidental. Yes, because he's, he's peddling the persecution thing yeah and it, and almost well with the byline of the police state is if it could happen to me it could happen to you they're only indicting me because i'm standing in the way it's a bit in brackets has been ignored <laughs> isn't it? Yeah. yeah if you've committed you know dozens of heinous crimes yeah then they will come and get you yes they being the law yeah and now is the time i think for mark's british politics corner Speaking of the person who's at the top of the tree, this side of the pond, Rishi Sunak was exercising this... Exercising, is that the right word? Using, utilising. He was doing it. Doing the fallacy this week in Prime Minister's questions. Last week's Home Affairs Committee, it's extraordinary. The representatives (laughs) of the Home Office in charge of immigration were unable to come up with any numbers at all regarding immigration in answer to questions. Put <laughs> it's not to like them it's their job or anything, is it? No, not no. quite. And even, even Lee, 30p Lee, Lee Anderson was asking things like how many immigrants got sent back over the past year? And there was a shuffling of papers and no, but they just didn't they say, well, we'll have to get back to you on that. And the, <laughs> even the chair, the chair at the end said, when you came to this meeting, what questions did you think we were going to ask? You people in charge of immigration. Yeah, this is this is Diane Abbott levels of preparation for a meeting. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You would you would need numbers. You know, the people on the on the committee were saying to them, "Here are numbers of of people. Where are they? And how many have you processed? And where have they all gone? And all that." And they had no clue. They they could not respond. At all, there was shufflings of papers. People kind of just moved things around behind them. Even somebody said, "You got there's a massive big folder that looks like it's full of papers on the benches behind you." The, your advisor to help. It. Can they find anything? No, they couldn't. <laughs> so they flipped through the thing. Nothing. So this week in uh, Prime Minister's questions. Keir Starmer brought it up. Madam Deputy Speaker, last week the Home Office admitted that 17,000 people in the asylum system have disappeared. Their exact words, it's hard to believe this, we don't think we know where all these people are. Now, you might lose your car keys, you might lose your headphones, you might lose your marbles. How do you lose 17,000 people? Well, Madam Deputy Speaker, I mean, on, on the topic of football teams, he, lost, did, he used to describe interest, Ru- this Rwanda policy as immoral, and yet his football team has a Visit Rwanda badge on the side of them. Yeah. <laughs> did, did he answer the question? No. Uh huh. Yeah. So, two questions prior, Starmer had referred to Rishi's team that he purports to support in soccer, Southampton. 
And he points out that they've been on a winning streak. They've won 11 games in a row. Unlike Rishi, who's lost 17,000 people. Um, <laughs> Starmer's team, incidentally, is Arsenal. And their shirts do indeed have Visit Rwanda on the sleeve. And the uh, on the visitrwanda.com website, it says Rwanda is Arsenal Football Club's official tourism partner. So it's, it's money, basically. Yeah, it's they give they're money. paid to have yeah. their thing on there. Thing on the yeah. sleeve, yeah. But in two ways, it doesn't answer the question. <laughs> so it doesn't answer the question, how do you lose 70,000 people? Why the fuck doesn't your home office know where the you're supposed to be in control of the borders? Where are these people? Doesn't answer that bit. And nor does it counter that Starmer's assertion that the Tories deal with Rwanda is immoral, with the one to take asylum seekers from the UK, is deeply flawed, unworkable and immoral. He just says, yeah, but the football <laughs> team you support have got Rwanda on their shirts. It's very strange. That's... I would say I'm not convinced this is a bulverism right. fallacy as such. It's definitely a red herring because right. it, is, it is distracting yep. from the point by just going off in a different direction completely and not talking about the question at all. It's mm-hmm. a very, very weird guilt by association as well <laughs> mm. of suggesting that the football yeah. team you support takes yeah. money from tourism, yeah. a tourism group that wants to promote a country that we don't think it's moral to send our immigrants to. That's that's circuitous at best. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He says we're immoral, but he supports the... <laughs> Yeah, so he do, so he do, he's not a, he's a, he's not answering two questions: one about mm. whether the deal is actually moral, how much is it costing, where's the four hundred million that we spent already, what does that cost? Um, yeah, but yeah, crucially but, for this fallacy, he's not explaining why Keir thinks it's immoral or why Keir right. thinks that seventeen thousand no. people are missing. He's just saying it's all very well you yeah. say it's so, immoral yeah. when you're like over here, <laughs> jingly keys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The <laughs> whole laser dot on the wall. Yeah. All right. Well, let's try this one. Then. <laughs> Nigel Farage was deemed to be a pep, a politically exposed person by Coots Bank, who famously is the Queen's Bank. So it's kind of a Swiss bank. But it's, I think it's part of the NatWest group. It's a very select bank. It's posh, posh and, place to have your money, yeah. Yeah. And rather than carry the risk of him suddenly having no job at all in the political sphere, so he's a politically exposed person and thus have no income and or get eaten by crocodiles on television in the jungle or for them run the risk of being associated with the far-right views that he says out loud in public, they opted to close his account. So here's Farage on his GB News show discussing the documents he got from a subject access data request to Coots. And he reassures them that he is a good investment and he's a gracious and understanding person with nothing to answer for extreme views wise. Yeah, no, he doesn't do any of that. The word Brexit is mentioned 86 times. I get the feeling the corporate banks will never forgive anybody involved with the campaign. And appallingly... The word Russia is mentioned 144 times. Yes, all part of the Russia hoax. The word racist is used 12 times. Well, I suppose we could have expected that from a group who are filled with malice and the very special kind of prejudice that you only get from the upper middle classes with metropolitan views. What? (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> so it's brilliant. Yeah, no, I mean, I'll give you this one definitely because he's right. saying that the only the the only the reason that they... only think he's a racist person yeah. who is responsible for Brexit and too yeah. too closely linked to Russia is because yeah. of their metropolitan views. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not because they've been paying a little bit of attention for the last 10 years. <laughs> yeah, because of, for the upper middle classes with <laughs> metropolitan views. It's a kind of the special kind of prejudice that's reserved for the upper middle yeah, classes. prejudice against views. racists. Yes, exactly, yeah. So he he is upper middle class with metropolitan views. Yeah, but he'll have a pint with uh, you down the uh, pub, won't yeah. he? yeah, yeah, he'll no. play that game. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, so, And the whole thing about... Metropolitan views, that's kind of as opposed to extreme slash estuarine slash rural <laughs> views. D- don't know. Yeah. Mm. And this is the point at which I realise that Bolverism is basically never trust a hippie. <laughs> that's It's that kind of, we know what those kind of people are. So here's the direct um, refutation of what they're saying. They're saying they're closing down my account because they hold metropolitan views wow. yeah it's, it's yeah speaking of hippies here's mike graham in october 2021 on his talk radio show speaking with cameron from the insulate britain campaign which is a cause devoted to pressuring the government to insulate britain's homes to help lower energy costs keep voters warm, and react to climate change i think it's fair to say that mike's not a fan what do you do for a living well, cameron I'm a carpenter. A carpenter, right. So how safe is that for the climate? Well, I work with timber, which is a much more sustainable material rather than concrete. I also but you work with trees that have been cut down then, don't you? It's a sustainable building practice. How is it sustainable if you're killing trees? Because it's regenerative, you can grow trees. Right. Well, you can, you can grow all sorts of things, can't you? Well, you can't grow concrete. You can. See you, Cameron. Cheerio. That was Cameron. Uh, he grows trees and then cuts them down and then makes things from them. Brilliant. Marvellous. I don't think I ever want to talk to any of those people. <laughs> so, so the silence that followed the you can. You can, yeah. The, you can grow concrete. Yeah, you can. Yeah. was a genuine massive gaffe left by the aghast and amused Cameron. I mean, what so can you kinda, say to it? Yeah, yeah. There is no answer to you can grow concrete. No. You have to just look yeah. at the person and, and let does. them sit there and think about what yeah. they've just said. And I, and I think what's happened is the, the kind of the background noise in Mike Graham's head has risen to such a point where he's thinking, oh, my oh, God, God. Oh, I've got to have to get rid of him. Oh, no, I'm hoist by my own stupid petard. Yeah. So he just goes, cheerio, and, like, cuts him off. Mm. And, and whilst not saying it in so many words, he's intent on dismissing anything Cameron says because he didn't think he ever wants to talk to any of those people. Well, also because Cameron is, is the kind of person who will grow trees and cut them down. Yeah, so those you know. people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then grow more trees whilst he's cutting them. So they're planning to cut these ones down, so we'll plant some others. Yeah, and in 15 years' time, they'll be ready to cut down. <laughs> Yeah, it's not like that's kind of been a management process for timber forever since since <laughs> farming. Yeah, since forever since trees. Yeah, 
Wow. So, yeah, so he's just dismissing anything those people say just because they are those people. I don't know how to love him from Jesus Christ Superstar, which is the story of Boris Johnson at the COVID inquiry. <laughs> and so in the fallacy in the wild, we like to talk about the fallacy of the week from a non-political perspective. And our first example this week comes from Friends. Yay! This is an episode where Joey's moved out, Eddie's moved in, and uh, Chandler is missing his friend. And they turn on Baywatch and chat over the phone while it's on. Can you believe they gave Stephanie skin cancer? I still can't believe they promoted her to lieutenant. Uh, you're just saying that because you're in love with Yasmin Bleep. Well, how could anyone not be in love with Yasmin Bleep? <laughs> you're just saying that. Oh, God, that's just reminding me of Eddie. Oh, Jesus. Fruit drying oh, psychopath. Oh, completely, completely forgot about him. Whoa. Uh-huh. So, uh, yeah, Chandler is only saying that it's unfair in some way that that Stephanie was made a lieutenant because he's in love with Yasmin Bleeth. Yeah. And, I mean, clearly Stephanie deserved to be a lieutenant. She's way more responsible than Caroline. Just doesn't, wouldn't make any sense to make Caroline a lieutenant. But, you know, that's that's the motivated reasoning that Chandler comes to that with. But but Joey doesn't address the claim. He doesn't address Chandler's incredulity that yeah. Stephanie deserved to be lieutenant. He just says, well, you're just saying that because you love Yasmin Bleeth. Yeah. So. And, if, and fair enough, Chandler <laughs> kind of comes back and says, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, that's not an unreasonable <laughs> assumption. Who wouldn't be in love with Yasmin Bleeth? <laughs> yeah. 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 So it's kind of, in a way, he's responding to Joey's erroneous rebuttal yeah, yeah. And, uh, and just saying, well, yeah, yeah, all right, yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. that's right. So he's kind of neutralising it. He's saying, right, now answer the proper question. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 So our second example comes from Sister Sister. Ah. You women always get so emotional over nothing. <laughs> you women? Being a woman has nothing to do with it. You're only saying that because you're a woman. <laughs> so it's very close to the original bulver. Yeah. Of you're only claiming that two sides of a triangle are bigger than the other one because you're a man. Yeah. And in this yeah. case, 
Jordan is claiming that the only reason she is saying that women don't constantly get over emotional about everything is because she's a woman. And he's not addressing (laughs) her upset over that phrase, which obviously he should, as her boyfriend, first of all, not have said, (laughs) and then second, recognise that and why she's upset about it, rather than just doubling down. Um, And this this actor, Dion Richmond, was Kenny on The Cosby Show, Rudy's friend. Ah, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. exactly the same way was was like a six-year-old misogynist who was right. constantly... Because he, he had an older brother who who didn't give him good advice about women. And so he yeah. was constantly saying, you know, well, you, you're not going to get married to anyone. And if you do, you'll have to cook them meals and clean their stuff and, and that kind of stuff. And he's this kid. It was funny because he was young. But yeah. he's the same yeah, guy. Yeah. Why does he keep getting cast in wow. these roles? That's so weird. What's he done recently? He's doing, uh, the, he's a, doing he's the... a producer and actor still. Oh, okay. Uh, He's not uh, a kind of grouchy old, older, <laughs> middle-aged guy who's dispensing erroneous advice to his son. I mean, there's a lot of law, there's probably. a lot of stuff of his I haven't seen, so I can't say yeah. that every single character he plays <laughs> has this view of women. But yeah. I think you know. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so finally, we have a clip from Casablanca. You have any idea what you'd have to look forward to if you stayed here? Nine chances out of ten, we'd both wind up at a concentration camp. Isn't that true, Louis? I'm afraid Major Strasser would insist. You're saying this only to make me go. I'm saying it because it's true. So, yeah, Ilsa (laughs) claims that the only reason he's telling her they're going to be in trouble with the Nazis... Just to make her go. ...is so that she'll go with Victor. Yeah. Uh, Which is probably true. (laughs) And, I mean, this is the point at which he then goes into the whole that, you know, you're part of his work, you're what keeps him going, and yeah. what I have to do, you can't be any part of, and the, he's no good at being noble, but the problems of three little people don't amount to a hill of beans in this crazy world, yeah. and all of that kind of stuff. But, yeah. but yeah, this this whole speech is his attempt to convince her that, actually, what needs to happen it's, is she needs to get on a plane with Victor, yeah. he needs to go off and fight the Nazis, and that's the only way it, it's all going to work. But yeah. rather than addressing the argument of, of them ending up in a concentration camp and saying, well, you know, we can we can flee from here. I'm sure, yeah. sure that Louis can help us out with some exit visas and, you know, we, we'll, yeah. we've got other options. Together. There's a plane. There's a fucking plane on the tarmac. <laughs> yeah. We can we yeah, go yeah. anywhere with it. She's, yeah. She instead addresses the reason he's saying it, the reason he's telling yeah. her that she's in danger is because he's trying to convince her to leave. So we're going to we're going to play fake news, folks. I love the game. It's a great game. I understand the game as well as anybody, as well as anybody. Yes, it's time for fake news, the game where I read out three Trump quotes, two of which are real and one I made up. And Mark and this week, our special guest, Ian, have to figure out which one is fake news. Before you go any further, I'd just like to point out, Ian, that it's all leveled against us. And you might accuse us, Jim, of saying that. Because we're constantly trying to distract you. But that's just the kind of thing that you would say because you're utterly biased when it comes to being even-handed. Mark, I would say to you that I yeah. think you do really well in this because what is the score? It's, it's well, about, you're about 64 half a lot, out of 127. It's currently so it's just about, over 50%. Yeah. Just over 50%. Yeah. But when you think yeah. about it, if this yeah. was at random, you'd be, you'd be at 33%. Yeah. So you are... Way, uh, you see, he's been playing it down all this time. He's see, saying, oh, yeah, you're only like, as if it's a one wrong not, one, rhyme one, yeah, right one. Yeah, no, no, one. don't. But I would say that's exactly the kind of thing you would say because you're on Mark's team. 
uh, in, <laughs> in, in the spirit of this week's fallacy, yes. Yeah. Mark, I would I yeah. would not let Jim push you around like this. I would say I would say you're doing far better than random, especially over the last like two months or so. Mark hasn't missed one. I've, it's I've, been no. an insane it's... Um, run of good luck slash excellent work. It's not insane, are you? <laughs> Unprecedented. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> and I, so, yeah. I tell you what, I'm gonna I'm gonna make a pledge now, right? Because right. if there's one thing I don't like, it's when people take the easy choice, which is whatever you choose, Mark. I will not go along with you. I'll go with something else. Wow, brave. So we could get both of them wrong. We could. Do. That'll be cool because there are three. So that's yeah. Well, good thinking. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> There's also the the uh, act of a madman. Yeah. <laughs> right. Okay. Well, so, let, yeah. Lay it on us then. The Jim. the quotes this week are separate incidents, and I could mm-hmm. have picked from many others, right. in which Trump claims big strong people with tears in their eyes came up to him and said something lovely. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. statement number one. Just a little while ago, backstage, there were nine. Of the nine, now these were tough guys. These are really, these are seriously tough cookies. In fact, I looked at them and I said I wouldn't want to fight these guys. But of the nine, eight of them were crying. And I looked at the ninth, crying out of happiness because they're back. I looked at the ninth guy, I said, what's wrong with you? Why aren't you crying? I don't cry, sir. I said, that's okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, so this, yeah. that, that's about yep. a group of miners, uh, M-I-N-E-R-S, okay. that he... Right. Um, <laughs> Because he'd okay. recently reopened a mine or something. Oh, right. That's why they're back. Okay, I see. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Statement number two. Yeah. Just today, a guy came up to me, a very, very big guy. This actually happens all the time. Big guy, military guy, army guy, army uniform. He was a soldier. Tears pouring down. He came up to me, said, sir, thank you, sir. You rebuilt our military. It was going to hell and you rebuilt it. And he saluted me, tears coming down on his face. This big guy who probably never even cried when he was a baby. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, okay. I like the fact that, uh, yeah, I'm a bit confused as to what his job is because he goes big guy, military guy, army guy, army uniform. He was a soldier. All right. Thanks for clearing that up. Yeah. Have you, have yeah. you ever seen okay. on, on social media where people go, I'm, I'm not going to do such and such because it's gay? And then they say something completely innocuous. Uh-huh. Like, I'm not going to eat sourdough because it's gay. <laughs> right. Uh, and. I'm so not gay. I didn't even cry as a baby. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> whose whose life is so yeah. gilded and fluffy? Yeah. Yeah. If you're in the military, you know, don't tell, don't yeah, yeah. ask, don't. Uh, yeah. Ask about Yeah. Yeah. Was he um as a as a child? Was he on this? Was he in some kind of incubator sort of? Uh, flotation yeah, tank. He was already a big, muscly, <laughs> big tough guy, army guy, muscly military as a guy. baby. Yeah, yeah. Right. Camouflage nappies. <laughs> There's a khaki nappy joke in there, but I'm not going to do yeah, it. Yeah, right. nice. Statement number three. He said, "Sir, thank you for saving our country." And I used to be surprised because I've been hearing this for a year and a half. I used to be surprised. You know, it's a big statement, and they're oftentimes crying, and they're people that don't cry. These are not criers. These are people that are real stalwarts, not crying. Nothing wrong with crying, but they often are crying, and I've heard it so much. Now, Ian, just to preserve the integrity of the game, we have to let Mark guess first. Right, okay. yeah, yeah. Sure. Um, <laughs> otherwise, he could... And then whatever I guess, yeah, yeah. Um, Ian's going to guess the opposite. 
at whatever the opposite of a triangle is. <laughs> okay, because I've got I've got in my mind okay. what mm. I think is which which I think is true. But I will stick to my. And then when we're both wrong, we can say what we oh what we should have said. <laughs> yeah. Said. Well, I I'm just wondering. I'm just wild about Harry. I'm just wondering. <sighs> you see, the big guy, military guy, army guy, army uniform. He was a soldier. Sounds a bit too much hyperbole it could be a gym thing however the other one had a lot of the first one uh, there were nine of the nine these are really these are seriously lots of little sotto voce sides <sighs> which i don't see that hasn't helped me at all i don't know why i listen to myself yeah. that's not helped one bit uh so here for years see the third one is sort of ordinary you think that like for a normal for Trump or for a normal No, person? I mean, no, but co- compared with the other, yeah, for Trump, that's right. quite <laughs> normal insofar as it doesn't have little asides, okay. little quotes of I other see. people, yeah, yeah, yeah. all that kind of stuff. And, you know, that, that sort of rundown of the military guy, army guy, army unit. <sighs> Poor now, sir, thank you very much. So, mm, probably never in crime when he's a baby is, I think, too good a joke for Trump. So, okay, so... On that basis, just just want an ignorance. I'm going to go for number two is the one that you made up. Okay, big guy, military guy, army guy, army uniform. Well, this is good because because naturally I've I've put the word true and underlined it a couple of times on on number two. Okay. Oh, have you? Oh, okay. Yeah. And I'll tell you I'll tell you why I'll tell you why mm. it's because I think that that repetition when he's telling a lie, yeah. he's he's always putting in more. When people lie, they always put in more detail. And the more detail right. it is, the more you think you like. So if you say, a oh, big guy, military guy, army uniform, wore this, did that, did that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and you know, just he's trying to paint a picture. So I've gone for number one because okay. I think these nine tough okay. guys, eight of them were in tears and one of them was not. I don't think Trump would ever. And one of them were in tears and the, and the ninth one was crying. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, no, no. no. Yeah, Looks no. at the ninth crying well, out. Happiness. doesn't cry. Oh, he has just a little oh, aside. He, he doesn't okay. cry. But I, I don't think that he would ever admit even <laughs> – if you said if you said is is it eight out of nine or nine out of nine? I don't think he would go eight, eight out of nine. Right. So I've, okay. I've written false. So we have, we've okay. naturally divided. I didn't have to invoke my uh, your, my fair play rule. Get out of jail clause. Yeah. So you yeah. both think that number three is real? We do by process yes. of elimination. Yeah. So yes, I'm going to indeed. start with that yeah. one. Okay. And number three turns out is real. He said, "Sir, thank you for saving our country." And I used to be surprised, because I've been hearing this for a year and a half. I used to be surprised. You know, it's a big statement. And they're oftentimes crying. And they're people that don't cry. These are not criers. These are people that are real stalwarts. They're not crying. Nothing wrong with crying, but they often are crying. And I've heard it so much. Yeah, so many people yeah. come up to him crying, yeah. thanking him crying. for saving the country. And these are it's the just... people that, that, are, that don't cry. They're yeah. not criers. No. <laughs> He's, he's so traumatised. <laughs> <laughs> this man, this man is so damaged. Uh-huh. He's, yes. he's, listen, listen to him. He's, he's saying there's nothing no, wrong with crying. crying. I wouldn't. No. I wouldn't. You wouldn't catch me doing yeah. it. No. no. What have I got to be? Yeah. No. In the process of looking for these, uh, I did find a couple of quotes of his from saying, uh, first of all, he's not a crier, uh, but also he doesn't like other people crying. 
uh, he talked about John Boner and Meatloaf when he was on Celebrity Apprentice, kind of right. sobbing uncontrollably. And he says, I don't understand it. I don't like it when people do that. So, yeah. <laughs> Jim, yeah, I, not, I, have to ask, okay. I have to ask, Jim, after this recording, are you supported in any way <laughs> emotionally? I just go <laughs> quietly cry by myself in a room. Yeah. That's and he's not a crier. He's a, he's a stalwart. He's not the kind of guy uh-huh. that cries. Yeah. Well, that well that well because Jim is also um, he's, he was professionally traumatised at the uh, British Board of Film Certification, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. where they offered For you trauma counselling, didn't they? And uh, and you said. It's fine. I know they're just films. <laughs> I know it's just fiction. Yeah, yeah right. no, they, they did. They put a, uh, a psychologist in place for us in case we needed it, and, and that got out to the papers, who then put the headline that said, Dawn to Dusk Sex Put Sensors in Therapy. Brilliant, <laughs> brilliant. So, Didn't an artist make a 15-hour film of paint drying they that did. you all had to sit through? Yeah, to- yeah. yeah. Just brilliant. two people had to sit yeah. through it. I just hope in they case gave it like examining. PG or something. It was a year. You know, yeah, was suitable it, for uh, all. Suitable for all, yeah. even if you've got... Contains mild paint <laughs> yeah. 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 So, of the other two... So I think number two is made up by you. Mark thinks number two. Yeah. But now I'm, number one. I'm... Yeah. And I will reveal... Yes! ...that number one is real. Ooh. Oh. Just a little while ago, backstage, oh. there were nine. Of the nine... Now, these were tough guys. These are really... These are seriously tough cookies. In fact, I looked at them and I said, I wouldn't want to fight these guys. But of the nine, eight of them were crying. And I looked at the ninth, crying out of happiness because they're back. I looked at the ninth guy, I said, what's wrong with you? Why aren't you crying? I don't cry, sir. I said, that's okay. <laughs> like, so I wouldn't want to fight these guys. Like, he's, he's capable of fighting anyone. Yeah, these are tough guys. One wonderful. I only want to fight nine stone weaklings that I can possibly beat. I, I wouldn't uh, want to fight yeah. this guy. Donald, you ca- you can't even fight your own past. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you can't even fight win a fight with your hair. Yes. Yeah. yeah. See, I I I come from a I had a traumatic childhood and I dealt with that by the uh, by the ingestion of alcohol to what I'm prepared to call a professional standard for 20 <laughs> years. Fantastic. Okay? Yeah. I've been yeah. sober for 8 years, but every time I look at Donald Trump who does not drink, I think maybe you know a beer uh, yeah. or two maybe should. Yeah. <laughs> Give it a go. Take, take because your job. Because yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm the only person I really harmed was myself. <laughs> that, so anything that is, that would, is yeah. the one thing I cling to. <laughs> so that means. So uh, ah. well, we have some social contestants on Patreon and Facebook who uh, oh, yeah. I posted this just before we started recording. And uh, we've got Rene, Will and Nick on Patreon all thinking number three is fake. Rennie and Will say it's because they don't think that he would know the word stalwart uh, and oftentimes doesn't sound like him either. He'd know the word stalwart because that's what he was told by his father as a child. You must be stalwart. stalwart. Oftentimes you must be a stalwart. Oftentimes, yeah. yeah. And on Facebook, Andrew wishes for them all to be fake. Uh, Mike says gut feeling number two. So, yeah, good one. And Melanie says she thought it was number one because the fact that there might be nine big guys crying backstage at the time is a bit too kind of verifiable. Some people might look backstage right, right, and notice right. that there aren't. That doesn't bother Trump But no, he's not, he's not bothered yeah. by that. So, no. uh, but yeah, that means <laughs> that Mark continues his impressive run 
uh, gets another one in the wing column. Fantastic. So, so you're kind of pointing out, you mm. see, I've realised that this is the equivalent for Jim of machine learning because what he does <laughs> is is find out all those things that we kind of go, well, there's the tell there. But then, mm. and then you, next time he just stops using it. <laughs> but that, that rundown, the big guy, military guy, army guy, you're yeah. right, that is a, a Trumpian thick trope when he does the, yeah, he makes the yeah. lie more visually <laughs> real, realistic. Yeah. Me and Melanie are a team of our own. And do you know what? Trump having nine big strong men delivered backstage shows is, is not what I expected on his rider. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, I think they were each carrying a different coloured M&M. So, yeah, so that was fine. And it's time for the part of the show that this week, at least, is called Ian Hawkins is Not a Logical Fallacy. Because as you already heard in the fake news section, we have a special guest. Ian Hawkins is an author, speaker, business journalist, comedy writer, stand-up, and most importantly, was the writer and host of the QED quiz this year, which was an excellent quiz. And I, I do like a quiz. It was a very good one. And we didn't come first, but we did all right. I tell you what, Jim, you won a moral victory. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And despite not winning, you invited him on the show. Yeah, even though I felt slightly better about some right. of the questions. Yeah, it wasn't, oh, no. it wasn't really the questions. Really? It was my answers, right. really, that were the, oh, okay, that were that's the problem right. in that they weren't considered right. So, yeah. Ian, welcome to the show. <laughs> Hello, Jim. That uh, frightened me. I, 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 first of all, I think I'm, I have to argue with the title of this about me not being a logical fallacy, because I suspect, having listened to your show for a bit now, I'm just a mess of them, a complete <laughs> mess of logical backwards and all kinds of things. I think and we that, all and, are, to, yeah. to a lesser or greater extent, yeah. So I was sitting around a table, as I often do as part of my job, and I said to this this woman, I said, you know, we never make a decision based on based on logic. It's always about emotion. It's, it's very, very, very unlikely that you've ever made a decision based on the facts. And she said, well, I'm a property developer. <laughs> that, that decision is always based on the facts. It's what property <laughs> do I buy, what can I afford, and what what is going to net me the most money. So I sit there and I do a right. spreadsheet. And I said, great, so you know how difficult it is to actually make a decision based on raw data yeah and i said why why is it that you want to have you know the best return on your money which is like not a question people often ask but yeah. why do you want it and she said yeah, yeah yeah oh you know when my mum came to this country she had nothing and you know we grew up really oh, poor and i wanted to give yeah. her and i was like right so not so completely emotional you want to give your mum a nice return <laughs> yeah, yeah 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 and she didn't she didn't say well, no wonder you said that because you're a man, which is the <laughs> subject of this week's fallacy. Yeah, but also the um, uh, the property development and the price of stuff is completely up in the air vis-a-vis Trump because yeah, it's all completely you know, subjective. Apparently, it's all completely according, yeah. according to no, no certain expert attention. witnesses. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> expert. Yeah, I lost the opportunity to come to the QED this this year because I was. Uh, playing a gig at somebody's 60th birthday. Oh, the guitarist from my band, and <laughs> oh, uh, so I think I clashed. So, what what was the process like 
creating the quiz for a room full of sceptical thinkers and people that can see through magicians and, you know, know exactly what the answers are before you've even got to the second word in the question. It was tricky, but I really worry about quizzes when I write them. One of the things I do is a is a sports quiz. Um, at, I'm, I'm the resident quiz host at the Ivy Club, and every right. year they have a sports quiz, and they fill the place with sports people. And I don't like sport at all, so I never know what a good sports question is. Whether it's right. oh, who won the FA Cup in 1984? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. And whether people that know sport would go, that's easy, or no, that's completely right. impossible. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so for this one, I just cross my fingers and hope that being a little bit esoteric, and uh, I tell you what. Being a, a listener to the No Such Thing as a Fish podcast saved my bacon on that one. <laughs> right. Because right. you, you need something a bit quirky. You need something a bit sciencey. You need something sports adjacent. And, right. and And that was it, really. It was a bit of a hope for the best and try and carry it through with what I'm pleased to call a force of personality. Well, right. it went down very well, and you hung around for the for the weekend, didn't you? And did yeah. you get to go to some of the talks? I I did. I've got one of the books on my desk. Ah, being unreasonable, which I loved. Uh, okay, yeah. I knew that as soon as somebody said buy my book, that's <laughs> there's no logic in that at all. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I just go. Yes, yeah. you're brilliant. I saw you talk. I'll buy your book. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. So you hung around for the whole weekend, and was there a moment when you suddenly thought, oh, I think I might have found my tribe i was at qed last year ah. but i had a terrible time at qed not for the for the organizers or anything but i had three members of my family die in in that weekend oh, oh my god <laughs> i, I oh, sort of went home to sort of talk to my mum and they're they're all elderly but even so right. three in a weekend is a yeah bit much yeah and so yeah. I, I i got to sunday morning and i thought oh i so don't I can't be here. Yeah, right. yeah. yeah no, fair I, can't, I can't make small talk. So yeah. I thought yeah. I'd promise myself I would come Well, that's back. fine because neither can anybody else at QED. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, listeners. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, but I'm, I've made a couple of good friends and it was it was quite nice to go in on the, you know, after having not seen them for a year, walk into the bar and go, oh, hello. Yeah. That nice. was quite fun. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I hope you'll be back another time because we'll definitely be there well i'll definitely be there mark is very flighty about these things so. <laughs> can, can we talk a little bit about the strange nature of podcast fame absolutely which mm-hmm. you t- which you mm. two will be will be basking in right now do you <laughs> do you find people feel intimidated by by the fact that they put you in their ears for an hour every week we found it absolutely fascinating because we had yeah. I, I mean basically there's a number of the people there like the puzzle in the thunderstorm guys and the the knowledge fight guys people like that i who, found myself weirdly starstruck yeah, by running right. into heath absolutely right so i i listened to them i've been listening to them for years and and i felt exactly that i was like no i, I kind of i couldn't even bring myself to go and talk to them until the sunday yeah the there was a moment year. i was like there he is, and there I was he is. Like, just no, go I've speak got to, to i've got to go yeah. and talk to them um, yeah and yeah we did have a couple of people come up to us and and kind the of same say the same thing fanboy yeah yeah t- yeah it's very I tell you what, i'll tell you an absolutely true story right a friend of mine is a reasonably big comedian and said oh i'm doing qi do you want to come to qi and mm-hmm. see the recording. So I said, yeah, of course, I'd love to. So went to QI, and afterwards he said, come on down, come on, we'll sit in the green room, we'll have a drink. So we go down to the green room, and I'm with my partner, and we go in, and we have a drink, and then in walks the rest of the panel. So yeah. my other half then starts chit-chatting to Sandy Toxic, <laughs> right? And having a lovely conversation, uh-huh. I'm breezing around, and then in through the door 
walks Anna Chesinski from right. No Such Thing as a Fish podcast, which which we listen to a lot. Mm-hmm. And I said, um, I said, hey, why don't we go and talk to Anna Chesinski? And my partner just went, oh no, <laughs> no, oh, right. wow. no, wow. I'd be so embarrassed. <laughs> So All maybe right. maybe you're right. Maybe when you said you know people that have us in their ears, maybe mm. there's something about the intimacy. It of- is curiously personal, isn't it? And and there's also a tendency for podcasters to reveal quite a lot about themselves and their mm. lives and and all of that kind of stuff so you really right. feel like you know yeah. people yeah it's, it's the difference between doing telly and radio and telly you know that you're talking to millions of people yeah. and if you do right. radio you're talking to one person yeah terry wogan yeah. was once asked how many how many listeners do you have i think the queen asked him she said how many listeners do you have and terry just went oh just the one man just the one <laughs> and mm. i used to do a radio show on bbc three counties and i would always refer to my dear listener and right. I think mm-hmm. once or twice that was literally true. <laughs> yeah. But and I always thought of it as just one person yeah. on the other city. Then we, the uh, that, see, that nearly cued Jim's Terry Wogan impression. Uh, yeah, any opportunity. Yeah. No, but uh, yeah. I, I had a, a friend who was a BBC news reporter and he would do outside broadcasts and say the only way he could get through it was just to pretend that the transmitter was down, the camera was broken, and he was just talking to the cameraman. No, no one's going to see this. This is fine. This is just me in a field. Yeah. Yeah, with a, with an mm-hmm. entire crew yeah. inside of the camera. <laughs> but I think the uh, the notion that we're broadcasting to one person, or the fact that I think even in a podcast, um, that it just happens that we're we're chatting to each other about all sorts of stuff. Yeah. But it just yeah. so happens that we're recording it, so we are constantly surprised when you know downloads hit more than double figures, <laughs> and <laughs> uh, and that people come up to us and say, oh, you, yeah, yeah, I've been looking for you, which happened last time we uh-huh. were both at QED. Somebody came up to us wearing the fallacious Trump T-shirt and sort of announced himself, I finally found you, I finally found you. <laughs> oh, that's, that's our T-shirt. Uh-huh. So it was a surprise. And a joy for yeah. us. I mean, it's just oh, yeah. genuinely... Uh, I mean, I'm not good at meeting people and making small talk. I d- mm. like starting a conversation. I'm terrible at it. I absolutely loved the fact that people came up to me and talked to me because I, I like having the conversations and meeting people. I just don't want to start that process. So, yeah. So that really yeah. works for me. Yeah. yeah. What, and I suppose, do you ever feel that you've got, you, you are the, you've become an authority and that what you say kind of carries more weight suddenly? Oh, we're, we're, uh, what what did well, what were we called? Yeah, we? well, one of the world's yeah. leading authorities, according to one <laughs> podcast interview we did. <laughs> yeah, we had somebody interviewed us, and yeah, yeah. says that that. But I guess you know, in, in part of my um, so as well as making films, I teach filmmaking, and part of the uh, and it that moment of nervousness when you go into a classroom or into a, a session when you're about to start. You've just you've got to believe that you're an expert. You've got to behave like mm. you're an expert, and in a in a way you are because you know stuff that they don't. Yeah. So you just kind of o- audiences do not want to be given any ambiguity about that whatsoever. I once yeah. did an interview where uh, for Square Mile, and I've been a speaker coach for a long time, so I coach mm-hmm. people on how to stand on stage and, and deliver speeches. And they said, "Oh, who have you who have you coached?" And I said, "Well, quite a few big names, some Olympians, some uh, CEOs, and." A cabinet minister who's I'm not going to tell you who it is mm-hmm. because they asked me not to and that's fine 
Because they're but really think... shit at public speaking. <laughs> yeah, they're terrible. I don't want, I don't want that reputation to follow me them. around. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, uh, and um, in the interview, it came out as uh, Ian Hawkins is, is the UK's most trusted speaker speaker coach. There you go. Nice. And I thought, yeah. well, I don't know if I believe that, but I'll have it. Absolutely. Uh, put it on your poster. Put it, I'll put it yeah. everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. That's and great. you can always you can always counter any argument by saying I'm entitled to my opinion. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Oh yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and the other thing is I because I say there's three rules of good communication, right? The first one is find out what the audience needs and make sure you deliver it. Mm. But you have to deliver it as only you can deliver it. So you're authentic, so you're authentic and you're being yourself. And the last thing is you do have to be in charge. So you have to be absolutely in charge of, right. of everything you talk about. And you have yep. to be in charge of the space. So once you've nailed those three things, everything else follows. And if somebody mm. says, you're wrong about this, you can turn it to say, well, that's my authentic experience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes. Which yeah. gives me the authority. Yeah. To, and you've written about yeah. changing minds through stories rather than through data, as you mentioned, kind of people don't change their minds through data. Yeah, because stories are this, are, I, I think, right, humans have, have got this brilliant way of seeing patterns and seeing shapes and imposing shapes and patterns on things. So if you see, you know, you see a shape in the clouds, you go, oh, it looks like a face. In fact, it looks like my grandma mm -hmm. or it looks like a dragon or whatever. So Same we're thing. really good. We're really good at imposing um, patterns on the world. And when we mm -hmm. look back on stuff, I, you, you must have been in the situation where somebody says, what happened to you last weekend? And you say, oh, this happened. And then the friend you're with says, no, it wasn't quite like that. It happened like this. And somebody else goes, mm. no, this happened. And you all three were at the same place, saw the same thing, but you've all imposed a slightly different narrative on it. Mm. Okay. And what it is, is it's your memories and your brain imposes this pattern on your memories and reorders it and reshapes it into a story that puts you in the heart of the action. Your brain is not a, a recording device. It's, it's mm -hmm. a pattern-seeking device before all other things. So if you want to create change, and we all know that change is really hard, a story is a set of data with a very specific pattern, a beginning, a middle, and an end. And if you're at the end of your story and you say, this is where we've ended up, this is how things are, you cannot create change. It's, it's impossible. You've mm -hmm. got, you're at the end of it. And the only way to change is to put yourself right at the beginning of a story because every story in the world is about change. There's a crisis, mm. you make a decision about it, and the crisis is resolved. Okay? So yep. when you go into your office, this is me doing my sales pitch, <laughs> when you go into your <laughs> office and you're trying to introduce a new piece of technology or a new process or whatever, and people say, no, but we've always done it like this, change is mm -hmm. really difficult because they do not see that they're actually at the beginning of a story where, where that new mm. thing comes in. And you have to get people understanding that, a decision lies ahead of them. Yeah. So in the, in the way that one's brain orders things into patterns, mm. is that based on uh, past experience? So you know what determines how your brain sorts things into patterns? Because we have been, here's my neat segue, we have been <laughs> looking at, as part of our um, kind of sister program for the patrons, we've been looking at Mary Trump's book about mm -hmm. Donald Trump. And it's basically a big thesis. It's very, very narrative storytelling kind of way, which is very compelling. But her thesis is Donald Trump is the way that he is because of his dad. Yeah, because mm. she's a Fred, clinical Fred psychologist Trump. as well as his niece. Yeah. So she's looking yeah, yeah. at kind of the pathology of Trump. Mm. Yeah. But I mean, trauma is a really interesting thing because we can go through all kinds of 
stuff. But if we don't have agency, then it becomes trauma, right? Mm. So, yeah, I always think of, of how happy I was to get quite badly hurt if I was going out and playing a good game of rugby at school. Right. Uh, but an injury that was inflicted on me that mm. I had no choice over yeah. would be much more traumatic. So I spent most mm. of my childhood in hospital. And I spent I was born with heart disease. And I, I had a long and very difficult um, time in hospital getting my, my heart fixed. And right. it was a time I was born when, you know, the, the chance of survival from what I've got were, were not good. It, um, it was, you know, low percentages. Mm-hmm. And the, the, <laughs> the idea was, oh, he seems to be walking around okay at the moment, so we won't fix it unless there's a problem. You know, spoiler alert, there was a problem. <laughs> And when I yeah. when I left hospital, people said you've got a you've got a great story. You've got a you're a survivor, and of right. course I wasn't really a survivor. All I had done was be entertained while the medical profession did their business, and my body healed itself. And I yeah. had nothing to do with it. Yeah, yeah, long long trauma, and the the long tail of that, which I will not I will not um, bring the mood down with. <laughs> you know, um, lots of lots of very self-destructive behavior. But then COVID came along and I found myself back in hospital, back having right. all the symptoms of my heart not working properly, back yep. having trouble breathing, all of that. But this time I had agency and I sat there and I it was three o'clock in the morning and I seriously thought I was going to be permanently disabled by COVID. Mm-hmm. Sitting in hospital thinking, this is it. You've probably got six hours of solid work in you per week, if you're lucky, rather mm-hmm. than 40. So yeah. what are you going to do with that six hours? The only way you can keep the lights on and keep paying the mortgage is by making sure you have a, you do something really high value to the top of your talent in those six hours. So I started a business. Mm-hmm. It's three o'clock in the morning. I got my <laughs> iPad out. I built a website and I built a business there and then because I knew it was the only way to keep keep the lights on. Yeah. Uh, uh, Newsflash, I got better. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, but, but fab, because you've only been working six hours a week ever since. It turns out, it turns out the six hour dream was uh, was just that and was probably a result of not being, <laughs> right, being, being slightly deoxygenated. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. But yeah, but yeah. I, again, I used, 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 you wonder what the other perception was. I, I sat in that hospital bed and I, and I, there are three other guys there. And there's one waiting for a bypass, one on end of life, and one who was completely away with the fairies. And I did think as somebody walking past would go, who's that young man among all those, you know, yeah. all those sick old people? Yeah. And then I thought, maybe that's not what they're thinking. Maybe they're thinking, four blokes in there, God's waiting room. That don't look good. Yeah, I, yeah, it was a real slap in the face to think. Actually, I look terrible. Right, but also you you kind of touched upon that you 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 liken the flawed and traumatized individuals mm. to our our the great and the good of our leadership, in, <laughs> uh, politically speaking. Um, mm. I use the term uh, advisedly because we've learned that about Trump. I mean, is is there a correlation between? flawed individuals and their outrageous coping mechanisms i'm thinking of eaten educated you know bullington club members and their popularity as leaders or their their sense that they can be leaders even though you know the latest tranche of the covid inquiry is is by their own admission pointing out that they're all saying, well yeah we had no idea what we we're doing 
We, yeah, we... it's the incompetence that gets me. I mean, I, right? Who do I not like politically? Thatcher, <laughs> right? Fine. Mm-hmm. Was she competent? Yes. Did she do what she set out to achieve? Yes. Without wanting to do a sort of Keir Starmer here, you you can yeah. go. <laughs> if nothing else, the 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 core business of the UK was kind of protected during Thatcher. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think that what they did was they looked at this age of spin with Blair and mm-hmm. they went, oh, good, reality is totally plastic. You can do with it whatever you like. And yeah. every time Johnson says something, you go, oh, you're just telling me what you think will convince me. Not what is true, but what you think will convince me, what will make a convincing argument. You yeah. see it in the in the papers and you go, that's not an argument. That's not a, that's just completely not an argument. But you're saying it because it's it's the thing that, that you think is is the fig leaf that, that yeah. will work. Yeah. And for me, the one that I, I cannot get it out of my head is when Dominic Cummings went to Barnard Castle to test his <laughs> yeah. eyesight. Uh-huh. And it was Nick Ferrari talking to Michael Gove. Yeah. Yeah. And he, he says, Would, do you ever do that? Do you ever do that to test your eyesight? And Michael Gove goes, and in that moment, in that moment, you can see that Gove knows that he's not telling the truth. Uh-huh. Yeah. And he knows, yeah. he knows yeah. that Dominic Cummings is not telling the truth. And not only yeah. does he know that he's not telling the truth, he knows that Nick Ferrari knows he's not telling the truth mm. and that the audience at home does not think he is telling the truth. But he is yeah. playing this game that as long as I say these words, as long as I say it is acceptable to get into a car and drive it to test yeah. your eyesight. That that is enough. <laughs> it, it doesn't matter how outrageous the lie, but as long as we all keep saying it and all yeah. keep yeah, saying yeah. it, the, the we'll, form we'll of words... we'll all remain in office. Yeah. It's like yes. they think they found a cheat code for reality, where it's just, yeah, this, this isn't how it works. We all know this isn't how it works, but we'll say it. It'll be fine. Uh, yeah. And the thing is, we all know, and we all know the people listening, and you think, who are they? Because they refer to them often as the the British people. That was Braverman and and Patel, and now cleverly, you know, outrageous immigration policies are fulfilling the will of the people. Which people? This is the thing. You you can you can put in the place of Barnard Castle. You can put absolutely mm-hmm. anything. It's yeah. we're going to send what. I've I've seen people argue why why are we looking after all these all these um, immigrants when we've got homeless people? And you think, well, yeah. what is it that makes you think the government cares about homeless people? <laughs> yeah, what is it yeah. that makes you think? Oh, we would love to give homeless people money. We'd love to help single mums. We just can't afford it because of all yeah. the immigrants. Because because yeah. of all yeah. the immigrants. <laughs> it's like coming over here, <laughs> being homeless, or taking up our park benches, yeah. or trans people. Now the trans debate yeah. is is something I. I don't really want to get into because it's about people's personal lives, and you want to go, you go, you go, you go right. So, should trans people be involved in sport? And you go, well, I, you know, for, sitting back from it, I don't know, but you know, I'm not sure how it can be worked out. Probably by, for instance, in rugby, you get the rugby people to talk about it, and that's probably quite mm-hmm. a good way of sorting out whether or not trans women should yeah. be playing in women's sports. Yeah. Front page of the newspaper is probably not the best way to do it. Yeah, Liz Truss saying let's ban puberty blockers for for kids. Right? Is there any other area of medicine where I'd like Liz Truss to, to start legislation <laughs> yeah, yeah. on? Yeah, exactly. 
Because she did so well in economics and politics, uh-huh. so why not let her have a go at that? After all, Matt Hancock did a fabulous job. They're all terrific experts. You see, I'm not. I'm not saying that I would. I would have made a better fist of the economy if you left me <laughs> in charge of it for 49 days. I'm not saying yeah. I'd do better. <laughs> what I'm saying is that after I'd broken it, I yeah. might sit down and say, "Do you know what, Ian?" Stick to the quizzes. This, yeah. <laughs> I'll not do that again. Yeah, this is yeah. this isn't your forte. And instead, yeah. she's yeah. she's done a book called yeah. about about how to save the West. Yeah, <laughs> the war on woke starts here. And you go right. Yeah. Okay, I want, page one has to be a definition of woke. Yeah, right. yeah. Well, that's and I, uh, I went to see Stuart Lee doing his snowflake tour, and he was uh-huh. talking about wokery and snowflakiness. And he and he kind of like did this definition of caring about other people, allowing other people to have their own own lifestyles. If that's what being a snowflake is, then I'm a snowflake. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, quite happy to be that. Or or as Farage said on this week's episode, people with metropolitan views. <laughs> I don't know what that means. I've I got a bit. No, you know, in, when you're being told that you're part of a metropolitan elite that dis, that denigrates Leave voters at my fancy pants dinner parties. Yeah. I just thought. I just thought. Hang on. I don't have fancy pants dinner parties. I am a metropolitan. Yeah. yeah. But in what in what world are these eaten? Ed- in what world is Jacob Rees-Mogg <laughs> not part of the metropolitan elite? Yes. Uh-huh. But yeah. I am telling me that I am. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, you know, in in exactly the same way of redefining experts as Michael Gove famously did when he told us that we were all fed up with experts. Yeah. yeah as a man who's had yeah. open heart surgery, I like experts. Yeah. Experts are great. I, I, I'm not yeah, a great believer just... in the school of life. If you get struck down with appendicitis and I offer to do it, you know, whip out your appendix. No, no, I would pause. I would say, no, Ian, <laughs> yeah. let's see if there is another way through this. <laughs> I think part of the problem is that that's the entire system of cabinet ministers, is they're yes. all put in positions of being in charge of areas they have absolutely no expertise in and then shuffled yeah. randomly into other yeah. areas they have no expertise in. So that's that's what they think is the way and to go. In fact, I think if they if they show any kind of uh, ability and nous, they kind of they get shuffled anyway. But, yeah. um, who was it? Wallace, who was actually quite a good defenseman, Minister, they said, "Well, we're going to move you out of defence." Well, I'm not fucking doing anything else. I'm going to, I'll go then, <laughs> yeah. you know, because I'm really good at this. James Cleverly has been castigated in the um, in the House of Commons this week because he's not on top of his brief. And, yeah. you, and part of me goes, "He's only been in the job two weeks." I mean, I was still uh-huh. figuring out where the coffee machine was when I. Was... <laughs> Yeah, well, <laughs> but you know, don't leave it too long. Like Liz Truss, you know, we think, well, she's only been in the job forty-four days. Yeah, that's long enough. That's long <laughs> enough. Get and, out. And that's that's. Yeah. By the way, that's not me defending James Cleverly. That is me criticising the whole system that goes. You were foreign yeah. off, foreign minister, weren't you? Why do you have a jolly good go at the Home Office? <laughs> yeah, have a go at that. Okay, have a go at that. Be. Well, Ian, you've agreed to stick around for the next section of stories we don't have time to talk about but for now if people want to find out more about you where's the best place for them to go best place to find me is mr-hawkins.com that's where all my shtick is excellent thank you very much for joining us oh thank you very much indeed for having me mark jim it's a pleasure pleasure is all ours 
And finally, some things we really don't have time to talk about. Former House Speaker Kevin McCarthy is the latest to join the exodus of over 30 senators and congresspeople who've announced their decision not to run for re-election next year. But Kevin isn't waiting till the election, vowing to leave Congress by the end of the month. Of course, every exodus must have a Moses, and new House Speaker Mike Johnson announced this week that God chose him to be the new Moses in a series of late-night conversations he had with the creator of the universe himself. Not sure I love the idea of power being given to people who think they're on a mission from God. Much as I love the Blues Brothers, I wouldn't want them to be House Speaker either. But perhaps I was a bit hasty in assuming that Mike wouldn't reach across the aisle. After all, he explained on Tuesday that the reason it was taking a little longer than expected to release all the January 6th footage is because, quote, we have to blur some faces of persons who participated in the events of that day because we don't want them to be retaliated against and to be charged by the DOJ. And I think it's very kind of him to commit obstruction of justice to help all the Antifa, BLM and FBI folk who dressed up as Trump supporters and attacked the Capitol that day. His office later clarified that, of course, the DOJ already has all the unblurred footage. So Mike is just trying to make sure members of the public can't help them identify criminals. That's OK, then. Much less obstructy. Ah, oh, dear. <laughs> the... <laughs> He's such an idiot. The New York Supreme Court judge overseeing Donald Trump's fraud trial has reinstated a gagging order in a bid to prevent the former president from commenting on the case on social media. So that is the last we'll be hearing from Donald for a while. Sorry, no, my mistake. Seconds later, he posted a screed of messages on Truth Social, whining that he wasn't getting a fair trial, and the judge's wife was almost as out of control as he is. Because if anyone is in control, it's walking id Donald J. Trump, the inevitable result of a child who once won a shard of parental affection by exaggerating the truth and has now spent the last 75 years repeating this pattern in the desperate hope of filling the aching void. Parents, stop listening to this podcast. Go and tell your children they are good enough. Do not let this happen again. Break the cycle. As to whether the trial is fair or not, listeners outside the US should bear in mind the American legal process is a complex and carefully balanced system of claim, counterclaim, and then Trump queering the pitch by placing full-page adverts calling for the death penalty of the Central Park Five, who it turns out were wrongly accused of murder. They were black, by the way. No reason for mentioning that, just making up the word count. <laughs> Remember when it all looked like it wasn't going in Trump's favour election-wise and how it seemed such a good idea to simply come up with alternative election officials who just say, yeah, he won. We counted everything, did all that stuff, and sure enough, the orange dude won. Of course, it didn't matter that they were fake, because when Trump got in, he'd simply overlook it all and call it legit. Well, seems like the latest bunch of six electors who falsely submitted documents claiming that the former president, Donald Trump, won the 2020 presidential election in Nevada have just been handed an indictment by a grand jury. The grand jury charged the fake electors on two felony counts, including offering a false instrument to be filed, registered or recorded in public office, in this case, filing false election certificates, as well as forgery. All familiar things to us on the outside of Trump's camp, and to be fair, normal business practice within it too. This adds to felony charges against 16 false electors announced in Michigan, and this summer, Fulton County, Georgia District Attorney Fannie Willis brought charges against fake electors as part of a larger indictment against Trump and his allies. Seeing the writing on the wall... Fake electors in Wisconsin agreed to withdraw their erroneous filings pertaining to the 2020 election and publicly acknowledged that Joe Biden won the presidency after reaching a settlement with Democratic voters in a civil lawsuit. Better late than never, I guess. 
let's see who's the first to be called a fake by the GOP when the Dems win things they're not expected to in 2024. Testimony in Trump's New York civil fraud trial is nearing the end, with Trump's final expert witness taking the stand on Thursday. NYU Stern's accounting professor Eli Bartov testified that there is no evidence whatsoever of any accounting fraud, which, to be fair, is what you'd expect from a defence witness, even one picked and prepped by legal heavyweights like Alina Harbour. When questioned about specifics, like the fact that financial statements valued Trump's Manhattan apartment at $80 million in 2011 and $180 million in 2012, Bartov chalked it up to an innocent error, saying that it's not fraud because if Trump meant to commit fraud by inflating the value of his apartment, he would have made some effort to conceal it. Because, as we all know, if you just walk up to someone, lock eyes with them, reach into their pocket and take their wallet, that's not a crime, because if you were stealing from them, you'd make some effort to hide it. Committing crimes in plain sight is Trump's whole thing, just like Rudy's whole thing is butt-dialing reporters and confessing to crimes on Trump's behalf. Bartov was similarly sanguine about the same apartment suddenly growing to three times its normal size in financial statements a few years later, accompanied by another hike in value to $327 million, and presumably felt the other 200-plus false valuations cited by Attorney General Letitia James were also the kind of inevitable mistakes that happen when preparing financial documents. What could lead a respected accounting professor to give such benefit of the doubt to such massive errors? In, I'm sure, entirely unrelated news, Bartov also testified that he'd spent around 650 hours working on Trump's behalf at an hourly rate of $1,350, adding up to almost $900,000 in fees. I can see why the Trump team chose him, because if you want someone to testify about the subjectivity of financial valuations, choosing an expert who values their own work at two and a half times the average expert witness rate in New York is probably the way to go. <laughs> and then they can write that off against tax, even though they're not going to pay him, because uh, Trump never yeah. pays lawyers. Trump, like crime, never pays. Yeah. It's very hard to tell if someone is gay or not, but one big giveaway is that they co-founded a lobbying group that gets virulently homophobic legislation onto the few remaining unburned books in America. And so it was revealed that Bridget Ziegler, co-founder of Moms for Liberty, enjoyed three years of hot girl-on-girl action as part of an MFF menage a trois with her husband, Christian. The Ziegler's hypocrisy is said to be breathtaking, but not so breathtaking as the tender yet assured touch of another woman during the commercial breaks on Bake Off. It's also overshadowed by the real story, which is that Christian is accused of sexual assault, though presumably he'd argue that treating women like they only exist for his personal gratification fits squarely inside the biblical definition of family values, while stuff like consensual fun with another adult doesn't. It's a sad fact that bad behaviour of a man is less of a story than a legal relationship between consenting adults. But that is the society the Zieglers were instrumental in building, so meh. This whole scandal could have been avoided if they'd simply both minded their own fucking business. Still, bisexual erasure is a real problem in the community, and I for one can't wait to see Bridget and her supportive husband stop chucking gay people under the bus and instead get on the bus and wave a rainbow flag and hope that none of the hot girls in the Pride route recognise them. (laughs) I actually live near a church that holds regular conversion services. I know that because every Thursday the Grindr app on my phone crashes. (laughs) There's something about the act of paying money back to those in your family that have loaned it to you that acknowledges they're helping you out, but also repays their kindness by showing them how responsibly you took their help. 
you didn't just take the cash and blow it and then ask for some more, knowing full well they'd give it to you because you're like a member of the Trump family or something. So when James Comer noticed Hunter's bank statements had repeated regular illicit payments to his father, Joe Biden, it didn't occur to him that the documents likely showed repayments for a truck. Comer, from the school of Donald Trump getting money from Fred Trump with no word of thanks, just grunts of entitlement, claimed no one in his family repays him after he loans money. When my son needs help or my daughter, who's in college, needs it, I just give her money. Nobody ever pays me back, Comer said. You bet your ass he's storing that up to guilt them in his dotage. So when the Bidens just behave like normal people, Comer thinks you can loan people money. If they pay you back, then you benefited directly from the influence peddling. Adamant that Hunter paying his father back in any form meant Biden had benefited from his son's overseas business. And of course, we'll gloss over Comer making no mention of his own business deals with his brother, who reportedly include Comer loaning his brother Chad $200,000 in 2019, his brother repaid him through land swaps. No, because that doesn't count. Hell no Dem Coma knows even owns a truck. Unless it's one of them ghost buses that turned up on January 6th with FBI Dem woke Antifa dressed as Republicans on them. <laughs> it's very easy to assume that when Republicans call themselves pro-life while enacting draconian laws against abortion, their motives aren't so much about life as about controlling women. One of the reasons that's so easy to assume is because it's objectively obvious any time they're required to show they're working. This week, there was a brief moment of hope in Texas, of all places, when Travis County District Judge Maya Guerra-Gamble ruled that Dallas resident Kate Cox could have an abortion. Kate and her husband desperately want a baby, but discovered at 20 weeks that their fetus has a chromosomal abnormality which is almost always fatal before or shortly after birth. Partly because Kate has had two prior C-sections, her doctors say continuing the pregnancy puts her at high risk for severe complications, threatening her life and future fertility. Of course, if Republicans were truly pro-life, they would see that risking the life and fertility of a mother of two who wants another baby is the exact wrong thing to do. But on top of being staggeringly corrupt and unfit for office, Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton is a fucking monster. So he immediately announced that regardless of the judge's ruling, he would prosecute any doctors or anyone else who helped Kate get an abortion. And on Friday night, the all-Republican Texas Supreme Court issued an order temporarily halting the lower court's decision while they consider the case. I know there weren't any jokes in this bit, but sometimes you just have to rant. Fuck Ken Paxton. On a lighter note, Liz Truss launched a bid to prevent harm to women and children, which is a nicer way of saying empower the state to proactively bully, demean and deny medical care to vulnerable and isolated children. In a private member's bill this week, Liz says it's common sense to hold off puberty blocking drugs until after someone's gone through puberty showing that when it comes to common sense, she's ready to work the same magic as she did on the nation's mortgage repayments. Despite everything, I still hold a soft spot in my heart for Liz Truss for the way she kept Boris Johnson away from a formal role in the Queen's funeral, (laughs) stumbling through a Bible reading with all the panache of a tired six-year-old. It could have been him. It should have been him. He wanted it to be him. God love you, Liz. On a personal note, I was on stage in Paris when Liz Truss resigned as Prime Minister, and I noticed this sort of chuckle go around the room. I said, what's going on? What's going on? And this voice came out of the dark. He says, Monsieur, you're Prime Minister, she has resigned. And that was the day I learned the French word for schadenfreude is schadenfreude. (laughs) So, yes, it's been another depressing week in British politics this week. James Cleverly, the new Home Secretary, turned out to be just like the old Home Secretaries, a bit sweary, completely batshit crazy for Rwanda, and determined to change the law to ensure that the tens of millions spent with Rwanda isn't wasted any more than it clearly has been. 
The Supreme Court had ruled that the deal to send asylum seekers to Rwanda wasn't lawful because Rwanda wasn't the safe place to be. James cleverly thought he could get round that by simply passing a bill that said Rwanda was indeed a safe place. This from the government that denies if people say they are a man or a woman that they are. And if they say they are genuine asylum seekers, then they are foreign criminals looking to play the system. Meanwhile, Rishi Sunak got pissed off at the Greek Prime Minister who met with Starmer first and consequently said, I'm not playing and he's not going to let the Greeks have their marbles back, despite laws going back to the dawn of democracy itself saying that they are theirs. The Greeks were last seen craning Stonehenge away to a museum in Athens for safekeeping. I had noticed a factual error when you said James cleverly thought. No, he didn't. Oh, yeah. That's right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> no. Good. So that's all the bad arguments and faulty reasoning we have time for this week. You'll find the show notes at fallaciousTrump.com and if you hear Trump say something stupid and want to ask if it's a fallacy, our contact details are on the contact page. If you think we've used fallacy ourselves, let us know. And if you've had a good time, please give us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts and simply tell one other person in person about how much they'd like our podcast. And you can support the show at patreon.com slash ftrump, just like our strawman level patrons Laura Tomsick, Renny Zed. Schmoots, Mark Reiki and Amber R. Buchanan, who told us when we met her at QED, we can just call her Amber, though. Another listener recognised her at QED this year because we kept using her full name all the time. And our true Scotsman-level patrons, Melissa Sytek, Stephen Bickle, Janet Luetta, Kaz Tui, Andrew Houck, and our top patron, Lauren. Thank you ever so much for being our patrons and continuing to support the show. And thank you, too, to our very special guest, Ian Hawkins, yeah, thank who's you. been fab. You can connect with those awesome people, as well as us and other listeners, in the Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash fallacious trump. Ian, are you in the Facebook group yet? All music is by the outbursts <laughs> and was used with permission. So until next time on Fallacious Trump, we'll leave the last word to the Donald. That's right. Go home to mommy. Bye. Bye.